Wow, it's such a joy to see each and every one of you and including those of you who are watching us uh, online. Happy Father's Day to everybody, yeah? And to all the fathers in our midst. Uh, we'll be talking to you in a little while's time, but this morning before I bring you the word, uh, I just want to take a moment to talk to the people that are online. Uh, good morning, especially uh, to all of you who are watching us online, faithfully, uh, week to week. Now, I just have a special announcement to make for this morning. Next Sunday, 11th of September, will be the launch of our new online campus. Now, to date, I'm glad to report that there's about 70 of you uh, watching us online who have officially signed up to become members of our online campus. But every week, we still have about 300 out there who are watching us faithfully at 10 o'clock. And I, I, this week, uh, I just want to invite you, uh, if you have not yet signed on to become an online campus, but you in, intend to follow along with us, then you could sign up at fcc.life. And this week, we will also be launching our online connect groups for the first time. We have five groups that are ready to, to start uh, this coming week. And if any of you would like to become a part of our online campus, you can sign up today by heading to fcc.life. You click on the Connect tab and you can get connected. So for the rest of us, and I think it's important for you to, to know also, what will happen from next Sunday onwards is that we will no longer be live streaming our service at 10 a.m. Uh, but instead, our online campus will be screening at 5 p.m. every Sunday until about 6.15. So the service is about 5 o'clock to 6.15. Now, for those of you who are watching us online in Perth, if you want to keep to your 10 a.m. worship time, uh, you can choose to actually come back to one of our physical campuses, either here at Willerton, or you could go to City Campus. But if you need to stay online, uh, it's, it's, you can actually choose to join our online campus at 5 p.m. every Sunday. Now, the worship and the message will be the same, but the service will be specially curated for you as our online campus. And you are going to have your very own online campus pastor, and we'll introduce you to him uh, in due time. And we are very excited, church, to be able to launch our online campus. And I want to invite everyone here, the, both here as well as City Campus, that we will, we will all become digital missionaries, okay? That you could actually use the online campus to invite your unchurched friends and loved ones so that they can check us out uh, check, check us out on our online campus. You are, every one of you here will become digital missionaries, okay? And you can send the link and get your unchurched friends to come and check out the church. Okay, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say you are a digital missionary. Come on, tell them. <laughs> you are a digital missionary. You can send the link out and get people in. Wonderful. So that's, are you excited that we're having an online campus? And you'll be able to reach people, not just here within Perth, but all over the world. And we are thankful that the gospel can go forth. Now, today is Father's Day. And I thought I should share with you a message. Uh, God has put something on my heart that I want to share with you. It's entitled, When Work and Family Collide. When Work and Family Collide. Now, I believe this message is not just for fathers, but really is for every one of us, from students to singles to seniors. So it's not just about fathers, but it is really about putting Jesus central in our life. So I want every one of us to stay tuned, okay? And don't, don't, don't say, I'm not a father, so this is not for me. I think it's for every 
everybody. So let's bow and let's have a word of prayer and we invite the Lord to come and speak to all of us, every one of us. Amen. Father, I pray this morning that you anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, and authority. Lord, I pray that you hide your servant behind the cross so that Jesus alone shall be lifted up as your word is being shared. Lord, it's our prayer that every one of us in this hall will decrease, but you alone shall increase. Come and take preeminence in this place as your word is being shared. In, and speak to all of us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. On August 11, 2021, there was a Bloomberg um, article that was entitled Singapore. It's about Singapore, and I thought it was an interesting title. It goes like this. Singapore, playground for the mega-rich. Singapore, playground for the mega-rich. And then in the article, it tells us that $24 billion were spent in luxury homes in the first half of 2021 alone. And that actually is double the amount spent in Manhattan, New York, in the same period. And I discovered then um, that Singapore is truly becoming the playground of the rich. Now, nothing wrong with that. But the thing that hit me was this. Every one of us here in this hall, I believe, want to achieve a higher standard of living, a greater level of comfort, and a bigger amount of disposable income. I, I think every one of us would want that. But the question is, at what price? At what price? Now, while we may enjoy a higher standard of living, we may at the same time actually suffer a lower standard of morality, spirituality, and relationship. And if the law of sowing and reaping is true, then we will definitely have to put in much more effort in order to gain a higher return. Is that right? If you put in more effort to get a higher return, it means longer work hours and working harder. And this may also imply that there's going to be a collision between work and family. This is something that happens all the time. Is that true? In your own experience? I, I find that true in my that there can be a collision that takes place between work and family. And it is inevitable, it is unavoidable. And that's why I think it's important for us to discuss this and talk about this. Now, let me give you a biblical framework uh, to all of this and why I think it is an important subject to deal with. Now, firstly, there are two things that actually shapes our identity. There are two things that shape our identity. And I believe that our work and our family shape who we are. How many of you agree? Our work in our family does shape who we are. Now, why do I say that? Now, imagine if you are invited to a wedding dinner, okay, and we're all sitting around the table, wedding dinner, and you're sitting with people you don't really know, okay, and so you're, you ended up sitting next to someone whom you've never met before. So you start a conversation. What are you likely to say to each other? Somewhere along the way, someone's bound to ask this question. So, what do you do? Right? What's that? That's work. So what do you do? That's work. And then along the way, you're, you're likely gonna, you're going to be asking, so are you married? Do you have children? What is that? Family. Right? And the truth is this. Work and family, they actually shape our identity. They shape who we are. The influence of, our, of these two factors of work and family actually follows us wherever we go. Work and family actually have direct impact 
on the quality of our spiritual, moral, and mental life. It does. Uh, that if, if, you are, if you are doing well in your work, if you are doing well in your family, you are likely to be doing well as a person. Am I correct to say that? Yeah, because the, the two of them are so linked. But here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that both our work and our family actually comes from God. Is that right? They are both God-given. And therefore, it informs us that our identity is ultimately rooted in God. Okay, we, we find that our work and our family shapes us, but work and family comes from where? It comes from God. So ultimately, our identity actually is ultimately rooted in God. Now, why do I say that work and family are God-given? It's because, you think about this, on the day of creation, when God first created man, what were the things that he gave to man? The first thing he gave man was work. He gave him his work. Right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to this. The Lord God took the man and put him in a garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So that's when God gave us work on the day of creation. Then the Lord went on to say in Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. And that's when God gave us family. So on the day of creation, God gave man these two things, work and family. Now, and these are the two things that ultimately then shape us. Now, in God's original plan, there was no conflict. I want you to notice this. In God's original plan, there was no conflict between work and family. He gave us all of that, and then he stepped back and he said, it is good. So there was no conflict between work and family. It was all good until sin came into the world. And that was when both our work and our family went south. That's when it all fell. That's when tensions begin to build in these two key areas of our life. Now, why do I say that? It's because you look at Genesis chapter three, verses 17 to 19. After man fell into sin, not only did man fall, but the earth also fell. And then what happened to work? Take a look at Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19. To Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, just pause here for a while. I just want to make this clear. The problem is not that Adam listened to his wife, okay? The problem is because he disobeyed God, ate the fruit, okay? Just to make that clear. Before the husbands go back and say, see? That's, no, that's not the problem. The problem is they, they disobeyed God, right? Then he says, you must not eat from it. Then curse is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, now you will eat fruit, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your brow, now you're gonna sweat for it. Okay, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. So what has happened here? Work has now fallen and it has degenerated into toil. Okay, and work has now become toil. So by the sweat of your brow, you're gonna eat your food. Then the next thing that happened was Isaiah 53 verse six also tell us this. We all like sheep have gone astray. After the fall of man, what happened? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways and the Lord have laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So what this tells us is that 
when men fell into sin, another thing that happened was this. Not only did Adam and Eve okay, walk away from God, but they also walk away from each other. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we move away from God, each of us to our own separate ways. So when, the, when sin came, what happened was, men actually, um, the, the relationship between men were broken. Now we, have, we, we, we can be estranged from each other. So families, so with the entrance of sin, not only has men moved away from God, but each of us have turned our own ways. We are now estranged from each other relationally. So work has fallen and family can now be divided. And with the fall of man, creating a healthy family environment becomes more challenging because now we have inherent selfishness. Curating a successful work life becomes much harder now because now we compete rather than complete each other. We compete more than we cooperate. But the good news I have for all of us is this, that when Jesus came to redeem us, He not only reconciled us back to God, but He also restored the dignity of work to men. He came to not only redeem men, but also to reclaim the workspace. And now He restores both that which is fallen, family and our work. Now, how did He do that? And when He restored our family, when He restored our work, what, 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 what did he say to us to bring about the restoration? Now, listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 now, verse 18 to 20. Now, are you following me so far? Okay, watch this, huh? Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20 now. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. What is all this talking about? The restoration of the family. So he's restoring the family. Then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, Paul tells us this. Whatever you do, he said, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. What is this? That's the reclamation of our work. It is the restoration of work. But here is something we must not miss. Listen carefully, don't miss this. Here's something you cannot miss. Paul is actually exalting us to love our family deeply, and then to do our work excellently. So when God restores family and work, this was a perspective He gave to us. Love your family deeply. Brothers, love your family deeply, and do your work excellently. You see, why? Because family is all about relationship, but work is about a task. Family is people we must love. Work is a task we must do. And when it comes to family, love them deeply. When it comes to our work, do it excellently. But in the quest for a higher standard of living, in the quest for things material, you know what we did? We reversed the order. And that's our problem, I think. We reversed the order, but why? Because now we tend to love our work passionately, and then we do our family dutifully. Hello? 
Are you with me? What was the, the exaltation of the Bible? The Bible actually tells us, love your family deeply, but do your work excellently as unto the Lord. But what do we do? We reversed it. Now we love our work deeply with a passion, you know, but we tend to do our family dutifully. It's a perspective thing. I hope you're capturing this. We had a tendency, and myself included, okay? We have a tendency, you know, to pour our passion, our time, our effort unceasingly into our work because we love what we do. And then we tend to do our family dutifully, just keep the family going. You know, we all know as Christians, we ought to spend time with our family, and so we do. But instead of, when it comes to work, we actually pour our heart and soul totally into it. Okay, instead of loving our family deeply and doing our work excellently, we tend to love our work passionately and we just do our work, our family dutifully. That has been something God had to teach me again and again. And I'll say, share with you honestly, Maybe it is time that we also intentionally, you know, we had a tendency to cheat on our family so that we can build up our work. Maybe it's time we cheat, of, uh, <laughs> and go reverse this, cheat a bit on our work so that we can build up our family before it's too late. And let's face it, okay? One day, every one of us are going to come home from our office for the last time. Nobody retires from our family to spend our final days in the office. <laughs> and in the end, we're going to end up going home to our family. And when that day comes, how that day will feel will depend a lot on how we live out our priorities between now and then. Now, I've heard so many stories of men who cheated on their families only to find that the companies, the institutions that they are so loyal to are not as loyal to them. I think loyalty in the marketplace can sometimes be fleeting and temporal. It is only there for as long as we can perform and then it will end. And what we will end up with that will last, ultimately, is going to be our family. And one of the saddest statements that I've read, you know, goes like this. It's sad when men and women are forced out of organizations they bled for, only to return to families they have neglected. How sad is that, huh? How sad is that? And before you think that only working people have this dilemma, those of you who are stay-at-home moms and dads have no issues with this, you are dead wrong. Because even a housewife can shift her focus you know, from measuring her success in terms of the quality of the relationship she nurtures to that of how clean the house is, how neat my lawn is, how tasty my cooking is, how, which school my kids end up in, etc. The task of a stay-at-home mom
can also overtake, you know, the depth of relationship she has with her husband and her children. Am I right to say that? Then we can put, we end up putting the cart before the horse. A housewife can also end up loving her work at home and just doing her family dutifully. Is that right? Students, it's the same. I think it's important that as students, you get good grades. You should. Go for it. But never forget that while you are doing your studies diligently, excellently, don't neglect to love your family deeply. Don't forget to care for people around you. And I think all this is what God is wanting to teach us. And my point is this, whether we work at home, in the church, or in the marketplace, there is a strong tendency you know, to become preoccupied with the doing more than the loving. And work can actually become ju not just an occupation, it becomes a preoccupation. And I think many of us know what I mean. And I'm, I'm stating the obvious here. And I'm not saying there, here that we should not do our work with excellence and commitment. In fact, we should. As believers, we should do our work excellently. We should be the best in the marketplace. But what I'm saying is to, that we need to derive a right perspective and to embrace a sense of biblical balance between our work and our family. Now, I as a pastor, I will tell you honestly, I've also been there and done that. If I could live my life all over again, I will probably need to reverse the order of my own life. You know, in the early years of my ministry, I was traveling so much on missions that I have left my family with my wife, you know, and thank God I have a really wonderful wife who looks after the family really well. I left my family basically to my wife with the philosophy that, you know, if I take care of God's business, you know, God will take care of my family. It took a courageous mentor to come into my life. He put a finger on my jugular vein and he spoke to me. And he spoke to me about my misplaced loyalty that I have to my ministry and, and he returned me back to making discipleship decisions for my family. And I'm so thankful to him for doing that. And that was when um, I crafted this statement as a life lesson from that season of my life. The statement goes like this and it's become a life lesson for me. The statement goes like this. My family is the precious cargo that I must carry across the finishing line. My family is my precious cargo that I must carry across the finishing line. Can you imagine how tragic it will be if I were to cross the finishing line of life with all the achievements of ministry, the books I've written, the sermons I've preached, churches I've planted, conferences I've spoken at, etc., etc., but my family is not with me. I think that will be, to me, a failure more than a success. John Maxwell, I think, said it right. You know, he defined success as this, and I thought it was a perfect, really, really good definition. He defined success as this. Success is knowing your purpose in life, growing to your fullest potential, and sowing seeds to benefit others along the way. What a beautiful definition. Success is knowing your purpose in life. You know, it is growing to your fullest potential, and then sowing seeds to benefit others along the way. So I ask, we, we all didn't ask ourselves, right, what is our purpose in life? And then Jesus kind of summarized it so beautifully in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he said this, but seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added or will be given to you as well. The context of this verse we all know is that Jesus was challenging his disciples not to be worried about the mundane things of life, what to eat, what to drink, you know, what to wear, not because these things are unimportant, but because he said, our heavenly Father knows that we are in need of these things and he is able to provide. And since we have a heavenly Father, then we need not be constantly in a state of turmoil and anxiety. Our hearts need not be fixated you know, on, on, on these earthly cares, but instead we should be seeking after higher pursuits. So what should we be seeking after? He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So what must we pursue? It's interesting the word seek, you know, seek ye first. The word seek, let me unpack this verse for you. Uh, the word seek actually is a Greek word, zetio. It means to seek by inquiring, investigating to reach a binding resolution. It means to search by getting to the bottom of a matter, which means what? When we say seek the kingdom of God, it's a very intentional thing. It's very intentional. You know, it's getting to the bottom of a matter. That word actually emphasizes the moral values, the internal convictions that drives the seeker. In other words, it's not so much just a gathering of information in itself, but it is the values, the convictions of the seeker that actually drove that search. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this word seek is also in the present imperative, which means this, it is an ongoing command. It's not just an occasional option. It is ongoing, again and again seeking. In other words, it's a lifestyle. Seeking the kingdom of God is a lifestyle, it's intentional, it's ongoing. It is seeking and keep on seeking. And the context of this passage implies that this seeking must happen habitually. It happens consistently. It happens uh, continually, constantly, progressively, again and again. Seeking the kingdom of God becomes that driving thing. It is, it is like a way of life. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God. That word first, you know, in the Greek, is the word protos. It actually gives you the idea of what comes first. Another way to describe this word first would be foremost. So I think a better translation is seek ye first and foremost the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, it is not just first, it is foremost. It's not just sequential. So it's not just talking about one thing after another. It is substantial. And there's a lot of difference, which means to say that if we don't seek the kingdom of God first, everything else is meaningless. Are you getting this? It's not sequential, it is substantial. You miss that, everything else falls apart. Seek ye first and foremost the kingdom of God. And that word kingdom, basilia, the realm in which a king sovereignly rule. And this word is used to signify the rule of our King Jesus in the hearts of every believer. So if you ask me, what does the king want? Basically, for today, I'll say this to you, he wants us to love our family deeply and to do our work excellently, not the other way around. And here's a challenge I want to give to you. So here's the conclusion to the matter. Here's your take home, okay? Number one is this. I'm challenging you, fathers especially, moms included, everybody in this hall, towards God 
let's get the right purpose. Take, this is your take home. Here's your application. Number one, towards God, let's get the right purpose. Embrace the right purpose. Matthew 6, 33, seek and keep on seeking first and foremost his kingdom, his rule, his reign, and his righteousness, social, moral, spiritual righteousness, and all these things which your father already know you need will be given to you as well. Our creator does not define our lives by our work achievements or the neatness of our home or the grades that we get, nor does he measure it simply by the number of hours we spend at home, at work, at school, because the truth is this, the workaholic who neglects his family or the lazy fellow who never goes to work are both, dis both dishonoring to God. God gave us both our work and our family to curate. So love your family deeply, gentlemen, and do your work excellently as unto the Lord. God gave us both. Okay, and the key is to seek first and foremost the rule and the reign of God in our lives so that in the end, it is not my will, but yours be done. That's number one. Towards God, embrace the right purpose. Number two, towards our family, let's develop the right perspective. Okay, can I leave you this perspective? Love your family deeply and then do your work excellently. Don't reverse the order. I resolve not to cheat on my family to build my work, but if I need to, I'll reverse that. My work will one day end, but my family will stay with me till the end. And this is going to be covered extensively by Pastor Piet in our coming DC 2022. So if you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do that because discipleship begins at home with parents as a chief disciple makers. So towards God, let's embrace the right purpose. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Towards our family, let's develop the right perspective. Okay, do your work excellently. Love your family deeply. Towards ourselves, and this is where all of us need to work on this, let's get the right priorities in place. Success is knowing your purpose in life, which is to live for God and His kingdom. Growing to our fullest potential so that we can be the best worker, the best employee, the best employer in town. And do it your work with excellence. And then we sow seeds to benefit others, especially beginning with your own family, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I say it again, your family is the most precious cargo that you must carry across the finishing line. So when work and family collide, you know what to do. See, the question I have for all of us today, does your world need some reordering of priorities? Is there a need for your life, uh, in your life for some rebalancing? If so, do it before it's too late. Now, you may ask, how do I do that, Pastor? And this is where I want to give you some practical uh, help on this, okay? So it's a practical thoughts on, on this one. How do I actually begin to develop the right priorities? The key, I don't believe, is actually just, okay, let's come up with a lease. I don't think it's a lease, okay? But let me share this with you. Years ago, I got to know um, a management trainer Okay, and he, I know he was a Christian, and, but he, he, he did this training uh, about work-life integration. And then so I, I, I 
had lunch with him after that. And this was a teaching that he gave, which I find really interesting. He kind of looked at life and he divided it into eight sectors, okay? And they go like this. There is our physical life. Some of you may have heard me say that before, but I'll, I'll tell you one more time. Physical life, he looked at our spiritual life. Okay, then there is our family life, our social life, our mental life, our community life, our financial life, and our professional life. Very good. So he asked us to do a simple exercise, and the exercise goes like this. On a scale of zero to 10, grade your own life. Grade your own life. So we did it, okay? And so what you get in the end? Okay, physical. Look at myself in the mirror. I think I give myself a three. You know, so you, you go, you, you, you look at your life and you say, oh, spiritual life. Well, I came for Christmas and Easter last year, so maybe for family life. Uh, don't know, my children call me uncle already, so maybe two. <laughs> just, now how's my social life? Oh, very good. Every night I drink until 10 o'clock, so very good. Give yourself a nine. Mental life, uh, I read two books last year, maybe a five. Community life, uh, don't know what's happening in the community. Financial life, oh, very good. Last year I made $100,000, so give yourself a nine. Professional life, I got promoted three times, so give yourself a nine. And then you get this shape. He asked us to join it, and then you get this shape. If you get a shape, if the shape of your life is like that, what does it mean? It's distorted, okay? You don't have a balanced life. You have a very distorted life. If your life is balanced, it should be a what? A circle, right? It should be a circle. Now, but don't think that circle is all good because some people's circle very small. Everything no good. <laughs> so the bigger the circle, the better. That's the idea. So, excellent. So, he taught us that, and it was, it was really fun exercise. Over lunch, I sat, uh, was sitting with him, and I said, hey, Dr. De uh, Waitley, I, I know that you're a Christian. Can I make a little suggestion? <laughs> and then I said, I, I understand the way that you divide it, but what about if we were to take that spiritual life and put it in the middle Put the spiritual in the middle. Put Christ as a central. And then the rest of it will come. Our professional life, family life, financial life, mental life, etc. If Christ is in the center, He will then tell us how to run our family. He tell us where to put our money. He tell us how to, to, to what, what we are to fill our minds with. He's the one who dictates all the other areas of our life. Are you with me? I think that the, the answer is not to come up with the least of things because life is not so neat. Prioritizing is not so neat, you know. Uh, in, in the past, I used to think that the key is this, you know, you just come up with a list like this. God first, then family, you know, and then ministry, then my work, and then we come up with a list like that. But the truth is, life's not so neat because there are seasons in life. Today, if I put... Um, God, the only constant that doesn't change if you come out with any list is God is always there. So why not put God in the middle? Let Him be central in our life. Let Him tell us how to run the rest of our life. Because the truth is this, there was a season in my life when, yeah, I, could, I really need to put God first. I need to put my family because we were growing in a season when our family were growing, our children were there and we were growing our family. Therefore, 
our family came next, and then came ministry, and came, came some other things. Uh, then, but there are other seasons when it changes. Like now, I can put my, I want to have time with my children, but my children got no time for me. <laughs> you know? So things have changed. And now I can actually say, yeah, I'll put God first, and maybe my work can come next. Because my, my children have grown up. They are, they, they are now living their own life. You see, so things change. So it's not so neat. But my point is this. The way to handle this is not to try and come up with the least because it's too dynamic for that. But put Jesus central. You make him central and he will direct us. He will tell us how to lead the rest of our life. How to, he will dictate to us how to spend our money, how to do this, how to do that. But the, the undergirding thing is this, I must love my family deeply and I must do my work excellently. And then let God dictate and direct us. Then we are no longer, you see, the, the key is this, don't make Christ, don't make God a compartment in your life because He is not compartmental, He is central. Make him central. And he will teach us how to run our family, teach us how to do our work. So don't think of a lease or a compartment, but think of a circle with Jesus in the center. Make Jesus central and let him dictate how you should live your family life, work life, financial life, etc. In DC 2022, there will be a workshop where we're giving you the actual handles to flesh this out. So it's not a regimental lease but it is a relationship we have with Christ that is central. In different seasons, let the Lord direct how we should conduct all the different aspects of our life. Then we are no longer governed by a system. We are governed by the Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit lead us. It's not a lease of regiments. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Make Jesus central, not just compartmental. He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. So make Jesus central. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you catch what I'm trying to share with you this morning. That have the right purpose. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Embrace the right perspective for your family. Love your family deeply and then you do your work excellently. And I don't think there can need to be a collision between the two because Christ has redeemed them both. And to us ourselves, make Jesus central so that he will tell us how to live the rest of our life. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? And <coughs> you know, as, a, as a, a husband, a dad, I have so much, you know, to before the Lord to say, God, help me. Help me to really live my life the way that you taught us. And this morning, before we end, I want to, encourage, I want to invite all fathers. I want to pray with you and pray together with you, really, even for myself. If you are fathers, grandfathers, why don't you come to the front this morning and let's pray together as brothers. As a band of brothers, we come before the Lord and say, God, help us. So can we, congregation, why don't you give a hand to all the fathers that are in the house so we all come before the Lord this morning. Won't you come? Just come. If you are a father in the house, just come.
And let's, let's give them a good hand. And these are the our brothers that are really building our families. Now come, come a little bit to the front. Come a little bit to the front. Make room for others. Come on, give them a good hand. Give them a good hand. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. City campus, do the same. Just come to the front. We're going to take a few moments this morning just to pray. I want to lead you in a prayer. And then together, we cry out to God that God will help us this year as fathers, grandfathers, that we will love our family deeply. But we do our work excellently and not the other way around. And where there's a need to embrace a, a new priorities in our life, make Jesus central. Make Him so central. He can, he can tell us what to do with our lives and how we should conduct ourselves. So can I give you a few moments wherever you are? Just talk to God. Talk to the Lord. Tell Him what are things you, where are the areas that He's putting His finger on this morning as we go through God's Word that the Lord speaks to you. Would you just talk to Him and respond to Him? Then in a few moments, I'm going to lead you in a prayer as we devote ourselves in this new year to be the fathers that we ought to be. Be the husbands that we ought to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. We give you praise. Amen. Brothers, would you pray with me as I lead you in this prayer? Make this your prayer. Say, Jesus, be the center of my life. My life is not my own. I let you direct and dictate how I should live every aspect of my life. Teach me what to replace, what to remove in my calendar. My work and my family comes from you. So help me never to cheat on my family to build my work. But empower me to love my family deeply and to do my work excellently. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you hear the cries of our heart, that as fathers, husbands, we pray that you help us to develop that right perspective that we are to love our family deeply and to do our work excellently. And Lord, I pray that you help us this year to really build our families so that we can become disciple makers at home. And Lord, I pray for every one of my brothers here, that myself included, that you help us to make you so central in our life that you will rule and reign in every area, every aspect of our life. God, we resolve this morning to make Jesus central. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory and praise for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.